from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jade Harrell. Jackie Robinson is known the world over for breaking Major League Baseball's color barrier. On April 15, 1947, he stepped onto the field as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers. What's not as well known is that St. Louis played a key role in the integration of Major League Baseball. 75 years ago this month, Hank Thompson and Willard Brown were the third and fourth African-American ballplayers to play in Major League Baseball. They played for the St. Louis Browns, and the Browns became the first team in NLB to have two black ballplayers. St. Louis Public Radio's Rod Milam spoke with baseball historian Ed Wheatley. Wheatley is also president of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society. Rod asked Ed about the significance of this moment in history. Well, yeah, not only were they the third and fourth uh, African-Americans to play baseball, came, you know, Jackie Robinson came in April 15, 1947. Larry Doby was the first in the American League on July 5th. And a few weeks later, Bill DeWitt Sr., the father of the Cardinals owner, he was the general manager and then would also own the Browns, he signed Willard Brown and Hank Thompson. Uh, he also signed a third African-American, Piper Davis, who was assigned to a minor league assignment. But Hank and Willard coming on the field 75 years ago, they were the first team to have two African-American players, mm-hmm. something that you know, when the Dodgers and the Indians uh, fielded uh, their two players, it was just a single. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Bill DeWitt Jr. told me, he was a bat boy. Uh, you know, the Cardinal owner was the bad boy for the Browns, and he was, you know, was, we were talking about this, and he says, you know, it was just really nice. As I looked at, I said, what happened that day when you came out? Well, they were standing out in left field, and I, th- I was thinking how nice that was that they had someone to talk to and be with each other, which also, I took it as kind of an editorial of the Times as well, you know, don't they have 20-something other players on the field? But it was that the two African-Americans had each other to comfort, and you got to remember the pressure on these men. I mean... Uh, Hank Thompson was 21 years old, and, you know, he's integrating. Jackie Robinson, you know, was much older when he was, you know, he first broke the color barrier for the Dodgers. But Mm -hmm. this is a 21-year-old kid, Hank Thompson, in this town, the most southern of the 16 cities in the major leagues. So it does look like they had a they had a really short career, if you will, based here in St. Louis. Do you have a sense or throughout all of your historical research how they were received uh, by St. Louis crowds, did was the aim of tr- of the Browns trying to appeal to the black population uh, here in St. Louis met? Was it not met? And and again, why did it take so long for the other eventually larger and only St. Louis baseball team to actually integrate um, well at, even after the Browns left town? Well, to the first point, you know, they were accepted because the Browns would try to win. The problem was the Browns didn't always win, and and Bill DeWitt Senior. He wanted. He wanted good players. They wanted help. The Browns wanted help. And he also openly said, look, we have a large African-American presence in St. Louis, and I want them to come to the ballpark. And, you know, that was the motive. Get good players, fill in the stands. He went to the Kansas City Monarchs, where Jackie Robinson also came from, and he took these two gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, it wasn't that the Browns probably had an antagonism against, you know, fielding African-Americans, because you got to remember— Soon, they, they brought on Satchel Paige, the greatest of all, I'm saying players, I'm not saying just African-American players, Satchel Paige, one of the greatest ever. You know, he pitched for the uh, Browns in 51, 52, and 53. Again, that's still before the Cardinals 
uh, fielded Tom Alston. You know, and and so you know what I kind of align this to is, tell me who were the third and fourth men to walk on the moon? We all know Neil Armstrong, aka Jackie Robinson. Who was number three and four? I could answer that question, but I'm not normal, so <laughs> yeah. I, I I understand that. Yeah, and that's and that's how I feel. You know, in a time where. Too often we're tearing down statues of this or that. You know, maybe Hank Thompson and Willard Brown deserve a statue in St. Louis. So how did the two actually do when they were playing for the Browns? Well, you know, Hank Thompson, a 21-year-old, you know, he he did not do bad. Willard Brown was, was you know, was quite a bit older, and he kind of had a chip on his shoulder. Uh, Willard was, he was kind of uh, an interesting individual, period. Um, you know, and there's so many things. Every time these men basically came to bat, it was a first. You know, I, I'm doing a thing up in Fenway with the Red Sox uh, because on July 17th when Hank took the field, July 19th when Willard took the field, and the 20th when they both took the field was the first time. And they played the Red Sox that day, and it was a big thing here. And then when they finished the series in St. Louis, they headed east. You know, they were the first African-American ball players in Yankee Stadium. Fenway Park has a big exhibit that I helped them with, first African-American player in Fenway Park. And throughout the, the uh, period of these weeks, Willard Brown was the first African-American to, to hit a home run when he hit a home run off Hall of Famer Hal Newhouser of the Tigers. And, you know, there were those who said when he came back, the bat was broke. I mean, these were the times we have to look at and understand the times these players. But there wasn't, you know, the extreme antagonism that, you know, you've heard some of the history. You know, there's the alleged did Ina Slaughter spike Jackie Robinson, who was playing first base when he ran for a single? And, you know, there's been that controversy for right. years uh, that happened in 1947 when the Cardinals and Dodgers were playing at Sportsman's Park. But in the end, the, the two men, they were so-so. But there was a deal that when the Browns made this acquisition of, of the two gentlemen from the Kansas City Monarchs, that if they would be on the, uh, on the team at the end of the season – the Browns would have to pay a huge amount of money to the Monarchs. The Browns didn't really have all that much money. They were always, you know, kind of bottom feeders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they released them. And They Hank, released them before the end of the season. Yes, yeah, so they did not have to pay this, this large amount of money. Now, Hank Thompson went from the Browns. He spent a few short period of time in the minors back with the Monarchs, and then he was uh, acquired by the New York Giants. And he became the one and only individual, the youngest, to integrate two teams. He integrated the St. Louis Browns and the New York Giants, and he helped the Giants in the 1951 and 1954 World Series. Baseball historian and author Ed Wheatley is here with us on St. Louis on the Air. Well, a thing that you have talked about and you've participated in before is your participation with the Gateway Grizzlies. That's a, oh, yeah. That is uh, a different league in totally from yeah, minor Major League Baseball. Yes. Um, but the Gateway Grizzlies, that's a team that plays over in Soge, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And you as a baseball historian, you actually have some. Uh, you have something that's coming up to you – know, well, why don't you go ahead and tell us yeah, about what and, you uh, have coming up with them? You know, I do a lot of work with the Gateway Grizzlies. Uh, you know, as president of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society, you know, we've partnered with them uh, after we were over there uh, making one of my PBS films – on the Browns, and what is all this stuff? We told them it's just about the St. Louis Browns and the history. I had all this archives there because we were filming, uh, like we were going back in time. And so what we started doing is picking a Browns um, player, uh, dressing them, 
up in the uniform of that Browns player, be it 1922 George Sisler, 1949 Roy Seavers, and several others in a bobblehead. And this year has been uh, a dream come true for the last three years. I've been working with Satchel Paige's daughter and his foundation and all the legal people. I mean, he's one of the greatest men, as I spoke earlier, to play. So why, why don't you talk a little, about, yes. a little bit about so, who Satchel Paige is? I don't want to make an assumption yeah, that well, people the, know. I'll, I'll do that, but what we're going to do on July 28th, we're going to honor Satchel Paige. We have a unbelievable, I mean, the people from the Negro Baseball League Museum are like, oh, my God, how'd you do that? Satchel Paige bobblehead, and we're going to honor him. Uh, hopefully his daughter and son are going to be there and throw out the first pitch. But Satchel Paige, you know, was this remarkable man. Uh, he was a pitcher, one of the greatest pitchers, as I spoke earlier, to play the game. And he pitched uh, throughout the 30s and the 40s, 50s. Uh, <laughs> actually, he pitched in the 60s. Mm-hmm. He uh, was signed by Bill Veck finally in the major leagues in 1948 to help the Indians win a, not only a pennant but a World Series. And then uh, when Vec, um had to sell the team, he came, and Vec then bought the Browns, Vec brought him to St. Louis. But he was this unbelievable arm pitching, and he, not only did he play in the Negro Leagues, he did a lot of barnstorming. He came through St. Louis all the time, uh, and I have all these posters and pictures of him doing barnstorming tours here in St. Louis. But, you know, we also talked, you know, when he was playing for the Browns, in 1951, 52, 53, you know, he was in his late 40s. Mm-hmm. And he actually came and pitched uh, in 1965 for the Kansas City Athletics in a game. And uh, he did not allow a run. He let, it, he let Carl Yastrzemski get a hit. And he said, well, your dad got a hit off me about 25, 30 years ago. I might as well let you have one. I mean, and Satcho is this man, his presence, his, his esteem. Uh, is just unbelievable. And, you know, he is one of these men, you think of Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Satchel Paige, when you speak of the greatest of baseball. And to be able to honor him, it was. It took me several years to work with the family to get it through all the licensing and everything. And this is going to be a special night of remembering Satchel Paige. So one more time quickly, when is that going to take July place? July 28th. You can go to the Grizzlies, which is like five minutes across the bridge. Uh, call Gateway Grizzlies, get the tickets, uh, call them, or you can go online and, and purchase them and uh, – and get this unbelievable uh, bobblehead into the collection of the St. Louis Browns bobbleheads that the Grizzlies have done over the years. And as a baseball enthusiast, you'll even get to see a game when you go oh, out yeah. there, too. And, and the games, you know, they're quick, they're fast. Minor league games are different than major league. I, everybody should, uh, should expect to go out there one time. You're going to really enjoy it. Ed Wheatley is a sports historian and author. He's also president of the St. Louis Browns Historical Society. He spoke with St. Louis Public Radio's Rod Milam. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.